0: Hello and welcome to the Gamers Tavern, this episode many people have been looking forward to for a while, our impressions on the new edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Now, all three of the core rule books are out now, but when we recorded this back in September, we only had access to the Player's Handbook. I've talked to both Ross and with our guest, Sean Patrick Fanon since this episode came out and... Even after the new books have come out, we still stand by our opinions in this episode. The release of the Monster Manual and the Dungeon Master's Guide have only cemented our feelings about this edition. To curb any commentary about Edition Wars, I want to point out that I am personally currently playing in a Pathfinder game that you'll hear more about as the shows progress and I'm about to start DMing a Pathfinder game very soon. With that said, I absolutely love the new edition of D&D, and I plan to keep running it for quite a while alongside my various Pathfinder games. Remember, there's no hate at the Gamer's Tavern, and Edition Wars are bullshit. Now, some quick housekeeping. I want to let our Kickstarter backers know uh, if you pledged at the $25 level, you are entitled to some drinking glasses. Kickstarter wouldn't let us call them beer glasses, but frankly, they're 16-ounce tumblers. Come on. Anyway, those glasses are going to be shipped out sometime either this week or early next week at the latest. They're all boxed up and we're waiting for the rush of last minute holiday shopping to end before we ship them out because even though I've literally taken one and punted it against the wall and the glasses came out fine, I'm still a little bit nervous about shipping them out. I mean, come on, I used to work for the post office. I know what those guys can do to packages. Now, for our backers at the $10 or higher level, which entitles you to access to our premium content for free for the first six months, we're currently planning to have two pieces of content up for you in January, both of which will be recorded around the time of CopperCon in Austin, Texas. If you didn't make it in time to back our Kickstarter, you can still find that premium content either linked at our website at GamersTavern.org, as well as iTunes, Amazon, DriveThru, and many others. Now, you may be asking yourself, what's a CobraCon? Aside from a vehicle in Halo, thank you Red vs. Blue... It is only the most awesome tabletop gaming convention that Central Texas has to offer. From January 9th through 11th, the convention will have more games than you could possibly play if you had several months to hit them all. What about special guests, I hear you say? How much more special can you get than Shane Hensley, the creator of Deadlands and Savage Worlds? How about Jeff D., the artistic prodigy that brought you most of the classic RPG monsters that you think of to life. Cam Banks, the Arctic of the Cortex system. Steve Kinson, superhero game designer extraordinaire. And an amazing Shadowrun designer, Robin D. Laws of HeroQuest and Feng Shui fame. Oh, and... um. There's a couple of guys you may recognize, uh, Sean Patrick Fannin, Ross Watson, Daryl Mott Jr. They're going to be there, too. Oh, you want some more guests? How about uh, former gamers, tavern guests, Jason Morningstar, Kevin Nunn, Jennifer Renee, and so many more. You want more reason to show up? Seriously? How about on Sunday? We're going to be recording Two shows live in front of an audience. We're going to play a game live for a Gamer's Tavern Game Table special episode one shot. And On top of that, after the game's done, we're going to be recording a Gamer's Tavern episode live in front of the audience right at the convention. And it's going to be all about what we experienced, what we played, what we demoed at the con, as well as in celebration of small gaming-only conventions. So join us at Con in Austin, Texas, January 9th through the 11th. And you can find out more at chupacabracon.com. With that said, grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner. And we'll be right back after this word from our Sponsor.
1: Hi, this is Sean Patrick Fannin, founder and chief visionary officer of Evil Beagle Games. We're the publisher of Shintar, the epic high fantasy setting for Savage Worlds. It's like Lord of the Rings meets Die Hard. We also publish the very cool and quirky deck-building game, Colossal Clash. The Beagle's proud to sponsor the Gamer's Tavern, a place where you can relax and get schooled at the same time. Seriously, you listen to these guys, you get free points on your Gamer Knowledge Score. So grab a drink and listen to my friends Ross Watson and Daryl Mott as they interview the best and the brightest in the hobby about all kinds of great stuff, or live play something really cool at the virtual table. And remember, Evil Beagle Games. Bad dog, good games. Now somebody bear me! <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to episode number 42 of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm Ross Watson, your host.
0: And I'm Daryl Mott Jr.
2: And tonight we have with us a friend of the show, special guest, and seems like perennial recurring side character, Sean Patrick Fannin.
1: Hi, it's me again.
2: (laughs) 42, the answer to to the universe and everything. I I think it's amazing we've come this far. Yep. That is a lot of episodes.
1: Life, Mm -hmm. the universe, and...
2: Uh, so tonight, we're going to talk about a really interesting topic. We're going to talk about the new Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, or Dungeons & Dragons Next, as I think it was called. So before we do that, let's jump into our ever-standard gaming character sheet for Sean Patrick Fannin. What is your gaming character sheet, sir?
1: I'm just this guy, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I had to make a zaphod Beeblebrox reference since we're talking episode 42. Uh, you know, and I'm going to do a little different, uh, I'm going to actually go D&D stats for this one, uh, since that's what we're talking about. So I think I'd have to claim, uh, I don't know, folk hero is my background. (laughs) No, I don't think I'm going to go quite that far with it, but yeah, my gaming character sheet, uh, um, I'm probably, I could, I think I can fairly easily claim at least a 12th level uh game designer, and I'm thinking at least 16th level, you know, GM, just for sheer fact. I've been doing this since 1977 as a as a player, and 88 as a pro. Uh, and I've worked on well. You guys have heard this a few times now. You know, started out actually working on Champions uh, professionally. D&D was the first game I played and ran, and the, the original before they even talked about what edition was what. I've worked on on Champion stuff during Fourth Edition Star Wars. I've worked on both the first edition stuff and a lot more on the third edition stuff. Uh, did some stuff for world of darkness and white wolf worked with you, Ross. Uh, not only did we co work on uh, the star Wars stuff, but, uh, worked under you for a a cool thing for one of the dark heresy books. That's right. You know, I wrote the Fantasy role playing gamers Bible, which explored all the history right up to third edition release, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. Um, what is your ideal? My ideal. Yeah. What's your ideal? The ideal that drives your character. <laughs> that's interesting you should ask that. I I want to leave my mark on, on the hobby in a way that's not just about how, much, how many books I sold or, or how much money I make at this or anything like that. Uh, I want to transform the hobby. I want to take it to another level. I want to be I want to be a part of one of those sea changes. And I think to a degree I, I can sort of claim to, to, to be a part of one of the key sea changes. I, I sort of was a part of, of the transformation of the business model. I mean, Steve Wick and those guys were the, the key key drivers in the whole digital distribution and publishing model, and I think that was a huge impact on the game industry uh, as a business. But I would really like to to be a part of changing how people play and and creating a truly amazing network of connectivity uh, at the game table, and I see a lot of potential uh, that's that's still untapped there. Okay, so, so what's your bond? What is uh? What do you care most about? Entertaining my players, making sure everybody at the table is having fun. Uh, that that's more important to me than anything I do, whether it's as a writer or a GM or just a participant.
2: Okay, uh, I would almost say Corinne would also be a bond.
1: Okay, well, all right, yeah. <laughs>
2: And finally... Yes,
1: yes, yes, I'm sorry, honey. I, he's absolutely right. I was totally focused on the game stuff. That was mean. Know, <laughs> no, no, no. To, to, I'm be yeah. sleeping.
2: I'm, I'm just now. following the instructions in the player's handbook.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be sleeping <laughs> fo- <I'm> on <laughs> the balcony when she hears this. That's going to be awful.
2: Finally, choose a flaw for your character.
1: This oh. represents
2: some vice, compulsion, fear, or weakness.
1: Won't play evil, won't play in an evil campaign, don't want to play with people who want to play dark. So, there you go. All right. Uh, I cut myself out of a lot of games that way. If somebody wants to play a dark game, somebody wants to allow evil characters, uh, leave me out. So well, that cuts me out a lot of the stuff.
2: I would say, probably most famously, that flaw actually uh, impacts something that's important to both Daryl and myself. That's, of course, our link with Shadowrun, because I know you're not really a, into playing Shadowrun because it does not really in- allow for characters that take a strong moral stance.
1: Yeah. I've, I've, my, my last Shadowrun campaign that I played in for any length of time was back in the early 90s when my wife at the time and the rest of my friends basically arranged for my character to die uh-huh. uh while they got away because I kept getting in the way of them making credits so they left my character and he sort of jumped in on it you know intentionally to do the heroic you know sacrifice thing but they just happily let him and then they continued playing that game for like a year or so after I dropped out including my ex-wife so that was fun <laughs> well, let's,
2: let's you know, we're not here to talk about Shadowrun, so let's f- refocus okay. on D&D. Sorry. That's fine. So what have we been playing lately is the next step, and I'm going to start with Daryl. Daryl, what
0: have you been playing lately? Dungeons and Dragons, the new edition. <laughs> uh, still running the game table episodes uh, where we played uh, through the starter set of the new edition of D&D with me running the game. And you can also hear I'm going to be recording in a little drop in uh, commentary as I'm listening to it editing. I'm going to be critiquing myself and say, OK, new DMs. Don't do what I just did right here because you get to hear me knock, uh, knocking the rust off build uh, GM gears in my head. We also played some games at Gen Con. Oh, yeah. Played a lot of games at Gen Con. Uh, played Hackmaster, which is a lot of fun. If you like fantasy role-playing games that are D20 inspired, but you've looked at the new edition and it's not your thing, you may want to look at Hackmaster if you want to try something new. Uh, it's really cool, old school feel to it. Played the great Dal Moody at the, in the hallway one time. Uh, crap. I want to say, Oh, I played a bunch of stuff on Sunday. I can't even remember. We didn't even talk about this because it was after we recorded our Gen Con special. The, the one that I saw that looked the coolest was King of New York, which is the sequel to King of Tokyo. Uh, it is basically half King of Tokyo, half Rampage. I uh, like the board game Rampage, uh, where you're actually like going to. Like the video game Rampage? Uh, uh, there's a bit of a legal snafu on the board game called Rampage because it's not technically licensed and Midway kind of found out. Okay, and so now they're changing their name to something else for the new printing of it, but uh basically uh, King of Tokyo is your each one of you is a kaiju monster and you're all rolling And it's a dice rolling game it's a pressure luck kind of game where you're trying to match uh get either get power score points or get health back to heal, and you're trying to knock the other monster out of the Tokyo, but in New York, they added a new element where you're actually going through the city and the different boroughs and destroying buildings as you go, and you get more <laughs> yeah, you get points back too.
1: I've I played the original version, and you're right. That is hysterically fun. Yes. Okay. Well,
2: uh, what am I, how would have I been playing lately? Um, uh, well, D and D in our game table night, uh, obviously. I've also been playing, uh, some Shine Tar. We actually started up a Shine campaign here in Denver. Uh, it's called the Coastline Campaign, and Sean Patrick Fannin, our guest, is actually the GM. Uh, it's going to be the first time I've ever actually played Shine Tar not at a convention. And it was really nice to play. the. We've been in the first episode so far, and I'm kind of excited to see where that goes. And there's possibilities of other... And considering that Sean and I both happen to live together, we're partners in Evil Beagle, uh, etc., We uh, there's going to be no shortage of opportunities to play Shintar. I in my future, I can imagine.
1: <laughs> no kidding. <laughs>
2: uh, uh, yeah. In addition to that, uh, I've been playing... A lot of Star Trek Online. They have a new thing coming up called the Delta Rising, which is the new big expansion for the game. It's going to take the game from level 50 to 60. It's going to add a whole bunch of new ships and races. It's going to open up the Delta Quadrant. Uh, it's going to be pretty exciting. If you play uh, Star Trek Online and you are a fan of the show, don't hesitate to drop us a line. And uh, ping me because I will be happy to tell you who I play and, and which fleets I'm in and things of that nature. So that kind of covers, I think, what I've been playing lately. How about you, Sean? What have you been playing lately?
1: Well, I discovered just how bad I suck at video games as you were showing me how to play Outlands. Uh, Borderlands Two. Borderla- Borderlands oh. Two. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, I'm awful. Your patience was greatly appreciated, but it, ah, I just the, the the state of the art and and me don't understand each other. Um, I'm interested in the Star Trek game. I'm just terrified to get myself into something like that. So thus far, I've, I've kind of held back, but uh, I'm still you know I, I'm slow. Fully t- st- sticking toes back into the video and uh, computer game world just because it always sounds like so much fun when you're playing. So that's been that's been kind of cool. Well, um, to be honest, the, uh, I, the
0: the Star Trek Online might be a little bit easier to get wrap your head around than a console FPS like Borderlands. Which don't get me wrong, I love Borderlands. It's is one of my favorite games, but it, it is something that the only reason why I was even remotely good at it was I spent so much time playing Halo.
1: So yeah, wow, hard. But, anyways, first tabletop, obviously, as Ross pointed out, Shine Tar. I mean, I've not even been here, but just a little over a month, and I've already got three Shine Tar games <laughs> got going. And, um, just because there's a lot of people here who want to play. There was the, the big stuff that we did at uh, Conclave that was very successful. So, there's a regular game at the local game store, Total Escape Games, that we're doing. There's uh, another one going on over at one of the players' houses that we do. And then this new one that we're starting up, which is the Return to Coastline one, which I'm really, really excited about. Once uh, Corinne and and, and Samantha, uh, my belovedest, and and my daughter get to play along with Ross, who finally, as he says, gets to play as a regular player, and then these two wonderful people that we have met, uh, who were just desperately looking for a, a really good game that you know wasn't just all hack and slash and, and was more role play, and they're really enjoying it. So that's been oh oh just oh. the first session, which, yeah, yeah, it was it was great. And
2: I'm going to go ahead and steal a tavern tale right here. Right now. Because in the Tavern tale section, we talk about memorable die rolls or memorable events. There is a memorable die roll, but it's actually like a a much longer build up to that. So in this Coastline game, one of the players is a fan of Leverage, the show Leverage. You familiar with that, Daryl? A
0: huge fan of Leverage.
2: Well, this player decided she wanted to model her character off of Parker, the thief character from from, uh, Leverage. And so a wonderful job of it. Well, she did such a fantastic job of it that when we were talking about how to rescue a kidnapped person and we said, well, what they're what they're doing, you know, we're trying to figure out what they're doing. They're waiting for a boat to show up, a special boat from their organization. And I said, well, we could, you know, try and sneak in, uh, you know, through the front, through the back. And she goes, or we could just show up with the boat. And I was like, um, that is exactly what Parker was
1: saying. Exactly. And let's go
2: steal a boat. Let's go steal a boat. Yeah, so the best part, though, is when in the first fight, I kind of pointed out to her, we have a map, and there's all these things in the environment. if she wanted to use the environment, she could. And she goes, really? And then besides, <laughs> since her character is acrobatic, she wanted to, do in a single attack, and you can do this in Savage Worlds, you just take multiple actions. In a single round, she was going to acrobatically leap off of a cart full of fruit, stab one guy in the face and kick another one so that he he falls over uh onto the ground. It was amazing. She totally did all three of those things in one one smooth, slick, awesome cinematic sequence, and then, you know, stood up and cheered. Her character stood up and cheered. And uh it was it was amazing. It was a great part of that night.
1: And I uh I got to look at her and I say and that was just a zero point brand new character. Welcome to Shintar. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, that uh, definitely fulfilled the whole like Lord of the Rings means Die Hard. And they they everyone everyone who sits down to play, they they get that, and I'm really thrilled about that. So it's 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 going on. It's, and then I feed off of that. But hey, you know, I'm also looking forward to getting to play. <laughs> I've been very much enjoying our our buddy cop movie thing going on. In in the online gamers table thing, that's been a lot of fun and really sold me on player on 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 getting a player's handbook uh, at Gen Con, which I did. And it's the first time I've been excited about buying a D and D book uh, in a long time, and I've been enjoying reading through it and getting my character ready for Ross's impending fifth edition ver, you know run at uh, Birthright, which we're we're looking at coming up. We haven't had a chance to play yet, but we did a lot of character creation stuff and story story development. He and I have actually had like long talks on road trips around town where we've, we've talked about my character and what I want to do with it. And that's just been, you know, not a single die roll yet, but, uh, well, actually except for the the powers thing, you know, the, the strange, uh, birthright power stuff. But other than that, everything's just been pure buildup story. So I've been very, very excited about that and excited about the potential of being able to create a character in a, such a story driven setting with a set of rules that are much more story driven than any version I've ever seen before.
2: You're talking about your bloodline powers is what you're
1: talking about. Yeah, the bloodline powers. Yes, exactly.
2: So, um, why don't we go ahead and segue into Tavern Tales, but this time I think we should really focus on a D&D experience, because tonight is about D&D 5e. I think, you know, with all of our stuff being kind of in already the uh, the uh gamers table, like all mm-hmm. of us have been involved in that, I don't think we should talk about things that have already been recorded. So let's pick a Tavern Tale about D&D. I mean, it can't be about 5th edition, obviously, because I don't think any of us have played anything outside of Game Table at the moment. I have. Well, alright. Alright. Daryl, in that case, you could do a D&D 5-1. But every, all the, the whole, the only rule for, for hard rule is it has to be a D&D tavern tale. So, Daryl, start us off.
0: This was back when it was still known as D&D Next during the playtest. Um, I was running it for my childhood friend James. Uh, and it was just a one-on-one campaign where I was trying to, we had someone else who was going to join in, but he, uh, his, he and his wife, uh, she has a medical problems, so he couldn't join us because she had something happen. And it wasn't really a die roll. It was him desperately trying to avoid rolling the dice. Uh, what it was is they were trying, uh, it was, I was trying to recreate the, uh, Thieves Guild campaign that I've talked about before on the show that I played in, uh, back in third edition at the local game store where, uh, we were setting up a Thieves Guild in Waterdeep. And so what he was, he was actually a lone thief because we couldn't set up the guild without only one person. That's kind of hard to do. Uh, but he, uh, I, I was eventually going Looking to for group <laughs> <laughs> Guild of One doesn't really quite cut it. Actually, that would make a really cool like D&D sort of diehard movie. OK, now I want Fort to write Rogue. a story called Guild of One. I know. But anyway, uh, uh, what it was is he was tasked. He basically got mugged in one of the taverns and he was approached by someone who said, hey, I'm I'm head of the Thieves Guild in Skullport. And we're looking to move in. Uh, you are the type of talent we're kind of looking for, but you have an initiation to pass. Go get your shit back. So he goes across town and basically the entire thing was him trying to avoid any sort of direct combat in any way, shape or form. And just completely shatter run the thing. It was like pure black trench coat, the way he had planned everything out. And I'm just sitting here. Okay, how can I, can I trip him up? Can I trip him up? No, he has thought this out too damn well. He made two dice rolls in two hours of gameplay, and both of those were just dexterity stealth checks. Nice,
1: nice, nice. All right, good story. Total, total Assassin's Creed before there was Assassin's Creed. Well, no, this was after. it was oh, was yeah, after, okay, but, right, yeah, that's true, true.
0: Um, but he hadn't played Assassin's Creed, but yeah, that's totally what it was. Sean,
2: why don't you go next? Is there a D and D story you can tell us about a memorable die roll or memorable moment?
1: Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, it kind of lets me segue later into a topic that is very near and dear to my heart about fifth edition. And this is a not fifth edition story, but it'll make sense. Pretty sure we're third edition by this point. Um, living in Southern California, hanging out with my best friend, uh, Albert Deshane, uh, out there. And, and there's a gaming group and they're cool. They're, they're a totally cool bunch of guys. I enjoyed socializing with them, but they just had a very different culture about this. They were much more, uh, about the business of, you know, you make your character, you get in there, there's some role play and story, but really we're just there to, you know, grind through these bad guys, grab the cool stuff, move on. And, you know, we're, we're starting a brand new campaign and bringing in a zero point, you know, zero experience point uh point first-level character, and I just had this idea in my head that, you know, I was going to play him as a fresh off the farm or fresh out of school, you know, in this case specifically fresh out of the church, Paladin. You know, full of vim and vigor and out to go do good in the world, but really no experience whatsoever. So we, I'm, I'm totally role-playing with these guys, and they're trying really hard to adapt to the fact that I want to role-play and talk about everything, because it's just not what they're used to. They tend to do a lot of out-of-character, you know, kind of in, kind of out, very, very meta. And I'm strictly in character. And Albert actually is kind of trying to do it too. But he's also like, but these guys don't play that way. But oh, well, we'll try. So anyway, we're going along. Struggle, struggle, struggle. Culture, clash, culture, clash. And we have our first fight. And in that first fight, uh, you know, I, I run up and I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. And, uh, but we're up against like humans, uh, bandits or, or whatever, and we have to, to take them out because they're whatever. So I run my sword through the first bandit. He falls at, dead at my feet. I turn around and begin vomiting up against a tree. Because I'm, for most people, the first time they kill somebody, it's a terrible shock. And I just decided I was going to role play that you know, this was his first kill. They all they look at me like I'd grown a third head. <laughs> um, like a second head had popped up and then a third one immediately, you know, popped up mm-hmm. and they were just completely, what? And one of them actually, you know, cr- openly criticized, what are you doing? You know, this is, this isn't about, you know, we're, we're, you're, you're trying to drag too much of reality and role-play and blah, 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 blah. And the DM was kind of like, yeah, well, I understand, but really you don't have to do that. We're kind of just moving. You know, we don't, that's, that's not how far we want to go with it. I mean, I'm literally being criticized for, for doing that. And uh, that stuck with me. That pretty much marked uh, a, a, a turning point to me for how much I didn't want to play D&D anymore, like ever again. Uh, because it just felt like the, the prevailing attitude about D&D was, uh, yeah, it's not really about the role play and just, you know, you got a cool character or whatever. We're just kind of working the mechanics. And it's like, ah. So that was a frustrating thing, even though I felt good about the roleplay in the story. And later on, Albert was like, yeah, that was really cool. Cause I mean, I'd rolled, it was one of those, like, I'd roll really high, natural 20 or something. I rolled crazy damage, you know, one shot kill. Nobody else got the one shot kills. And so my guy looked like a badass, but then he turns around and throws up cause he's like, Oh my God, I just killed somebody. And I'm like, that should be a thing, you know? And that's why, that's one of the reasons why I'm happy to be coming back to this game because now I see a system that potentially, you know, really rewards that, that, that devotion to roleplay and story as much as to what you can do with the, with the dice. And
2: to be clear, you know, there's lots of different ways to play D&D and have a good time, and none, and all of them are valid, right? I mean, I think we all agree on that.
0: Yeah, it's we're not telling you you're having fun wrong. It's just this isn't the way I personally right, like absolutely. to
2: play. I also happen to agree with Sean that t- typically I like to play games where story is a little more important than the die rolling. And I also agree with him that 5th edition is exciting to me because it allows us to kind of bring a little bit more of that story into it.
1: Well and again i i, I I'm like so I'm not trying to downgrade anybody but I'm saying in that situation I was invited to play and I was bringing the role play in the story, I didn't think it was cool to criticize me for it, right I mean that's like hey guys, what well what's
2: it sounds wrong? like it sounds like one of the situations and, and this comes up a lot, but it sounds like one of the situations where you know the d m really needs to have a conversation ahead of time and say you, you know just so you know here's what the tone of our game is like, here's what the themes of our game is like, you know that kind of a thing, yeah.
0: How but, dare you have fun, wrong, Sean? <laughs>
1: that yeah, wrong well, part. I am I, just saying, you know, it was, it was like, hey, why not expand, right? We can have all this kind of stuff going on, but I don't know. It's all I'm saying is that they felt like the game wasn't about that, and there wasn't anything I could point to in the game that really served my argument either. It was the other problem, and and that's why I'm saying this edition you can say, look, there's inspiration, right? There's a reason for me to do this because I'm trying to gain inspiration based on playing off of these flaws and these ideas.
2: Well, one thing it's important to point out about tonight's episode specifically is that our policy here in the Gamers' Tavern is that there is no hate and that edition wars are bullshit. So we're not here to tell you that, you know, D&D 5th edition is the best edition. We're not here to tell you D&D 5th edition is the worst edition. We're here to tell you what D&D 5th edition is like, what we like about it, what we don't like about it, and why. That's basically what we're here to do.
1: Well, you guys can call me the color commentator. I'm not trying to start an edition war, but obviously I'm kind of a fan.
0: Well, no, no, no. I, I nobody's accusing you of that either. So. Yeah. We all uh, have our own personal opinions. You're just make, yeah. it, making it clear. Just because we like this edition, you may not like it. It may not be your thing. Right. We're not saying you're wrong for not liking it. This is just our opinions of it.
2: And I think I'm going to go ahead and tell a quick tavern tale of my own. I mean, obviously I stole a little earlier, but it was yep. for Savage Worlds. I'm st- I'm now telling a D&D tavern tale. It will be short, I promise. Uh, you know, back in the second edition days, and honestly, fifth edition makes me feel an awful lot like second edition. I used to GM an awful lot more than I used to play. Of course, back then it was DMing. Um, I used to DM like all the time. My friends and I, they, we, we were playing Birthright or we were running, um, you know, Dragonlance or Ravenloft. There was only a few times that I played uh, as a player, but I do remember I had a great time in this uh, one guy's games. Name was T- uh, Tony, and Tony liked to. He he was one of a handful of DMs I've really enjoyed playing under, who have, happen to have a really good adversarial relationship with uh, the players, where the game is kind of a bit of a struggle between us, and it is a little bit about screwing with uh, screwing with each other in a really good, fun, positive way. And I was playing Halfling. One of the ways that Tony's would kind of screw with with us is um, everyone in his world, for the for for that matter, basically just decided to treat halflings like children. So I ended up growing a Van Dyke beard to be very obviously not a child, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, this all came to a head when uh, Tony decided to start his campaign uh, properly inside a city, and he was going to have the big adventure hook sort of dangling in front of us, you know. I said, okay, well, before we go into that tavern to meet with that old that old man with the map, I would like to pick a pocket. I was a thief. I'd like to have some extra money for the tavern. I'm going to pick a pocket. Tony says, all right, make your roll. Well, I flubbed it big time. And Tony, you know, this is one of those great times Tony was like, well, tell me how, you know, how, explain to me how you screwed this up so badly. And I said, okay, well, here's what I think. I think that what I actually did is I picked the pocket masterfully. I got the, you know pulled the money out. I have the money pouch in my hand, but I was so happy with the way that I did it that I just held it up high and I shouted yes at the top of my lungs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the failed pickpocket roll attracted a lot of attention. The merchant called for the guards. The guards started chasing me around. I hid under a wagon. They set the wagon on fire. A long story short, our entire party ended up getting captured except for myself and one other person in this giant brawl that erupted in the center of the city over that began with me failing to pick a single pocket. (laughs) Uh, It was a very memorable, awesome, at least for me. I I don't know about the other people at the table. I I hope they had a good time. I really do. (laughs) Let's just say I remember it very fondly, but it was many, many years ago.
1: And uh, that's my tavern tale. Sounded like a blast. And you bring a lot of enthusiasm to whatever's going on at the table, so it's kind of infectious.
2: Cool. Thank you very much. So, all right, let's talk to you know. Let's talk about D and D fifth edition. Um, Daryl. Yes. Tell me about. Is is it D and D next? Is
0: it D and D five e? What are what should we be calling it? This is the confusion. The official name of this edition of Dungeons and Dragons is Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and done that's it that is what this edition is called which actually and that's pull- not confusing at all right and this i actually pulled this up so i could read it off here are all the editions of D that have ever been printed we've got dungeons and dragons the dungeons and dragons basic set advanced dungeons and dragons basic dungeons and dragons advanced dungeons and dragons, dungeons and dragons second edition dungeons and dragons third edition 3.5 Fourth edition, Dungeons and Dragons Essentials, and Dungeons and Dragons. Which has been called the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons in some, uh, Wizards of the Coast material, and was, during its playtest period, had the code name D&D Next. And that's where a lot of the confusion's coming in, is for over a year, Watsy was calling it D&D Next, but it is just Dungeons and Dragons officially.
2: Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna postulate, or I'm gonna propose the following for me, whenever I think of this game, I I think I'm not going to be able to think about it without thinking 5e. Mm -hmm. So I am, for me personally, for just Ross Watson, whenever I talk about this game, I think the thing that comes to mind most easily for me is 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Well, and I think it's a reasonable statement for the state of the industry, but I have a speculation as to... Why at least some of the people involved in deciding what to call this uh, made that decision, um, I suspect it will be a long, long time before we see another version.
0: And that may be true based on some of the things that they have said and some of the things they've done in that they're wanting to make this edition a sort of living rule set where they're going to be applying rules patches as they go along, adding new classes and things like that at a much slower pace than they have with either third or fourth edition.
2: Well, you know what would be hilarious is if they come out with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons next
0: year. I oh I lobbied because they are calling their the free rules you can get on the website right now if you go to dnd.wizards.com you can get basic Dungeons and Dragons for free and this is something since day one of D and D next I've been saying they need to split it in here are your basic D and D rules here are your advanced D and D rules and they kind of did that the player's handbook. Is technically Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. You do not need the Player's Handbook to actually play the game. We didn't have it until our most recent recording. Well, maybe Advanced, Advanced. And I don't know. Anyway,
2: I just thought it was fun. <laughs> I,
1: I'll, if you weren't down the hall behind a closed door, I'd throw something at you. Sean,
2: <laughs> what do you think about what is it? D and D next or D and D five e?
1: Well, I, as I said, I, for, I consider it, I, it. 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 it it absolutely and in 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 terms of accuracy, it is the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. If you look at fourth edition and third edition, this is the fifth edition. There's just no way around that, regardless of nomenclature. And so I agree with you. That's that's how it's got to be discussed. I'm um, you know, know just enough about marketing to be dangerous, and know enough to to say that you know you know Daryl's probably right, and and. I suspect that we are going to see a a, a long-haul look and approach to this particular one. They're going to learn from some of the mistakes they made uh, the first couple of times around and try to, to keep this one solid and foundational, try to go back to what happened when they released ad and and then maybe second edition, but try to keep that, that and, and keep producing product off of that. And and fortunately, I think they've got a winner of a platform to do that with.
2: You know, I think you're right. What's, what's really interesting to me, um, and just a little background for the listeners, you know, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for 30 years now. Actually, probably 32 years, which is a long damn time to play Dungeons and Dragons. Gentlemen, uh,
0: you huh? have both almost been playing Dungeons and Dragons longer than I have been alive. Shut, Shut up, been,
2: you punk. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I've, I've been playing it since I was about seven years old, so there's that. You know, I, I've been through every edition I've I bought, I've played, and I even got, I have the honor of being one of the guys that worked on uh, Dungeons Dragons uh, 3.0 and 3.5, specifically uh, Complete Divine, I believe, for 3.5 has my name in it. So, you know, having a lot of experience with D&D and, and having a lot of, a really long perspective on d d there's something about 5th edition that I've that i i have to say i really like but it's something that is also to me it feels fairly obvious and i just want to mention it to see if you guys agree with me it has a very
0: strong second edition feel to it or i might even say first edition feel to it i was going to say first edition to me that's what i felt all through the playtest. is this this is the best version of the first edition D rules i've ever seen
1: it's interesting i i i just by sheer, you know, <clears throat> outlive, outlast, I get to say 37 years, you know, and uh, when I got my first hardback book, uh, after playing the box set and the powder blue, you know, you get up to third level and then you got, then you need to pick up, you know, the the full D&D, you know, advanced, or the AD&D rules if you want to continue. That's the marketing that they used back then. So I grabbed my first player's handbook back then and it was, you know, the first version of advanced dungeons and dragons when i first got my hands on the paladin and uh i was beyond excited. i mean, i still sitting here right now i can get just a little bit of school, of, of chill bumps when i think about the excitement i had, how excited the, the the smell of the book, the creak of it, the the amazing information that was suddenly exploding off those pages and and i got to go with you on that one because that's what this feels like. It feels like a return to that, that emotion, that emotional state. I don't know. Mechanically, I think it, it's actually f- pretty different in a lot of ways, but, but emotionally, I, I completely grok what you're saying about that, you know, what that connection means and what that connection is. It's like everything that came after it was like a, a weird, interesting, usable, but not necessarily my favorite twist. From what I'm playing and, and fifth edition feels more like this is my Dungeons and Dragons, but better as opposed to this is my Dungeons and Dragons, but different. If that makes any sense. Well,
2: let's, for the listeners who aren't familiar, why don't we, why don't we actually dig into a little bit about what that, what those things are about fifth edition that are different. Daryl, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the core mechanics of D&D?
0: The base core mechanic is one of the most ingenious things I've seen them do in a long, long time. Uh, probably the most striking change in D&D, in my opinion, since they flipped AC to be a positive number that your target number to hit uh, in 3rd edition. Uh, what it is, is everything is based off of what's called ability checks. You have your same six attributes you've always had. Strength, Dex, Con, Int, Wiz, Charisma. And it's the same as it was in... Third, 3.5 Pathfinder, fourth edition, where you subtract 10 from your attribute, divide by two. And if it's a po- that's your positive or negative modifier for that attribute. Everything you do in the game revolves around ability checks. So when we're playing, I will say, okay, what do you do? Ross or Sean or any I, of the I other. I throw players. my axe. You throw your axe. Okay.
1: Oh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well that gets into an attack roll, which adds a little bit more to it, but I was thinking more along those, okay, um uh, I'm going to try to uh there's a narrow cliff here with a little uh it's about six inches wide beam right across it. Uh do you how do you get across it? You say, Okay, I'm going to try to jump across. Okay, make a strength check. Okay, I'm going to try to balance beam across. That would be a DEX check.
1: But you know, Daryl, I just want to jump in here real quick mm-hmm. uh, while you're going through this. Honestly, your statement is not obviated by what you said because the battle mechanics play right off of that same through line that you're talking about. So you're not wrong. Yep.
0: I'm, I'm not because everything is based on these mechanics. Everything, even saving throws are based off these same ability scores. It's no longer a reflex save. It's now a dexterity saving throw or a constitution saving throw for poisons or a wisdom saving throw. There's even intelligence saving throws to see through some of the spells. And it's really, it's really just kind of ingenious that they simplified it down that much, but it still feels like a core mechanic to the game. Now, when I said it gets a little bit more complicated when we get to attacks is there's one other mechanic that's involved with in the skill rules, and that's your proficiency. Every character has a proficiency bonus that's based on your level. has nothing to do with your class, your race, anything else. It starts off at plus two, and every uh four levels thereafter, you get plus one to it, so it maxes out at plus five. If you are proficient in a skill, like, for example, athletics or stealth or arcana for intelligence or anything like that, you add your proficiency bonus to your ability check. If you're trying to use a set of tools, like you're trying to disable a trap using thieves tools, you use your proficiency bonus from your tools on the roll. If you are attacking with a weapon you're proficient in, you add your proficiency bonus to the attack roll, and it's still... If it's a melee attack, it's a strength. If it's a ranged attack, it's dex. If it's finesse, it's dex. Actually, you can choose between dex or finesse.
1: But proficiency basically represents an on-off switch. You are proficient, you get that plus two. You are not proficient, you don't get that plus two.
0: Exactly. Where the on-off switch comes is in another ingenious mechanic called advantage and disadvantage. If you, There are some abilities, some class abilities, some spells to this, but I'm not worried about those right now. If you do something creative in the game, uh, which these guys are really good at trying to work to get that advantage roll. Right. Uh, but if you put yourself in a situation where you have some sort of advantage over the situation, you get advantage, which means you roll your die twice and take the better result. Or if you put yourself, if something happens and you end up in a poor situation, you may end up with disadvantage, which means you roll twice and take the lower result.
1: This is my second favorite thing they've added.
0: I, I pretty much just taught you how to play the new edition of D&D right there. That, well, that, that talk, is the core rules.
2: Let's talk about the, the thing that is our favorite thing. Uh, Sean, what is your favorite thing?
1: Inspiration. 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 <laughs> Inspiration. So it is the thing that, that, that makes me most happy about being at a D&D table again because for the first time ever, that tavern tale I told about earlier – there would be a reason for me to do that. And it would actually give me a benefit in the game to do that. Uh, the GM is incentivized to, to reward role play and the player is incentivized to role play, not just through the course of the game, but role play in combat. I have never seen an iteration before now where there was a core brand produced and published in the core book reason to role play in combat. That advantage thing that, that Daryl De- was talking about, you can spend your Your inspiration, if you have it, it's a one-zero thing as well. You either have it or you don't. If you have inspiration, you may expend your inspiration to give yourself advantage, which basically means you get to roll another D20 and hope it comes out better, for example. Or you can even give inspiration to someone else if they're in trouble. It's like, you know, I have inspiration and I give it to them. But when you don't have inspiration, you have a good reason to look through your stuff on your character sheet and to, to go through the stuff that you've been doing and establishing as who you are and what your character is about and find reasons to do it in the middle of combat, you know. Because if you're out of inspiration and you're in a bad combat, you want inspiration back somehow. So finding a moment during that combat to to, to, to fall on a flaw or to invoke something about your bonds or something, you know, and, and to role play that moment out while you're taking your action or while you're talking to your friend or whatever. That that is an incentivized, you know, moment. To to role play in the combat to get that inspiration and then you have inspiration again and you can use it later to save your dumb ass or to save somebody else's.
2: I really you know I like the the idea the, uh, the idea of the traits. I think that's really cool. I kind of want to see more. Like I that I felt a little limited by the choices that are in the book, but they do give you a good range, right? Like I wasn't I wasn't sitting here going wow there's nothing here. I was sitting here going these are all good, but I kind of like a little more, right? That's that's the only thing I had uh, to say about it.
0: And there are a lot more in the player's handbook than there are in the basic D and D rules. And they are also going to be coming up a lot more in campaign setting books, for example. Right. Uh, there's going to be a lot more things coming up with that race uh, expansion books are going to be more about that. Right. And it flat out states, if you don't see one you like, talk with your DM and make one up.
2: Right. That's exactly what I was getting to is actually the book tells you flat out that gaining inspiration from role playing in a compelling way is what it's all about. And your DM will tell you how to do it, right? I like that they open that up with a conversation, a communication between you and the GM so that you are, well, you and the DM in this case, you and the DM about what you can do to earn inspiration. I love any game that encourages player and DM communication, cooperation, and just you know finding out more about the expectations and goals that each person has when they come to that table because role-playing is so interactive it is so cooperative you know and I, I like i like a game that encourages that
1: dear um, listeners if you you those who, who know me or have heard before or remember how i i still hate dungeons with every fiber of my being but i will go into a dungeon with this game system because i like it that much that should tell you something right there <laughs> yeah
2: well we have an episode on on dungeon crawls actually with uh it was owen kc stevens wasn't it and yep. It was the episode directly before this one, as a matter of fact. Right. Yeah. We had a great conversation about dungeons. Okay. Uh, so to hear more about dungeon crawls, go listen to that one.
0: Now, there, there's one thing. I, I want to sum up exactly what I love most about this edition. There is a disclaimer. What you new- love most beyond
2: inspiration, traits, and advantage, disadvantage
0: and uh the backgrounds, and the way they're handling feats, and... Uh, there's a lot to love here, but there, this right here pretty much sums up all of it in a little nutshell. There is a disclaimer on the credits page of the Player's Handbook, and it's also in the basic D&D uh, rules as well. Disclaimer. Wizards of the Coast is not responsible for the consequences of splitting up the party, sticking appendages in the mouth of a leering green de- devil face, accepting a dinner invitation from bugbears, storming the feast halls of a giant, a hill giant Steading, angering a dragon of any variety, or saying yes when the DM asks, are you really sure? (laughs) And to me, that kind of sums up what I love about this edition, is it seems to have brought the fun back. Best disclaimer ever, or definitely one thereof. Yeah, it's, that's kind of the tone of the game. It is, this is, a game, it's supposed to be about fun. And that's really what this game seems to be. It's, there's not nearly as, I don't feel as bogged down with the level of bookkeeping that I did in even second edition, let alone third, 3.5, or fourth. Well, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about fifth edition
2: outside of its mechanics. Um, Sean and I were actually talking earlier today and we were discussing, you know, something that was important about 5e. Is beyond the fact that it's a new edition of D and D, beyond the fact that it has these really cool mechanics and, and feels and tones and things that we really like. It's got an impact on the gaming industry as a whole. Like no other game can because it's Dungeons and Dragons. And because I think more so than any edition I can remember besides third, it's ha- the release of this new edition is causing some big waves. Indeed, in a positive way. Let me be clear about that.
1: Yeah, and, and <clears throat> there's there's always been the joke that you know. <clears throat> well, I mean, again, this was last night. We we were uh, I was running a shinetar game over at Total Escape. We went over to uh, Village Inn, had a you know cup of coffee and a piece of pie, and, and uh, we we're talking about gaming and all that. And waitress was being friendly, but seems somewhat perplexed. And I said, "We're we're getting our geek on here, role playing games." She says, "Well, I don't know what any of that is." And then I just couldn't help myself, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh that, okay. So I mean, it's still, by default, the identifier for what it is we do, no matter what system we're playing or whatever. And that's always been true. But what's interesting is its social place has changed so much. And it's it 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 the the value of saying those words has shifted significantly. And I say this anecdotally, but I'm feeling pretty confident about it because You know, my personal experiences, experiences of many of my friends and colleagues, you know, and, and the, the presentation in the media gets away from the, oh, the guys down in the basement and goofy and let's make fun of it to, oh, it's another one of those cool games that turns out lots of very important people play and, and have a lot of fun with and, and it's actual importance and it's value. So regardless of how an individual might feel about playing these rules versus another set of rules or what the state of the art of gaming is, the state of the health of our hobby and our industry necessarily resides, at least in some way, on, on what the state of Dungeons & Dragons is in the marketplace. Well, and, and this is really
2: important because the last six years, ever since 2008, uh, Dungeons & Dragons has actually been on the decline in our industry. It has been – well, when 4th Edition was released, it was saddled with um, some very poor marketing decisions. And then uh, very quickly it was saddled with competing against itself with when Pathfinder was released, uh, of course by Paizo. So it kind of splintered. I, I would say that in two thousand, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, we had a splintering of D- Dungeons & Dragons fans in the industry. People who wanted to play D anD D, you know, a lot of them went to Pathfinder. I mean, um, in fact, over the last, I, I want to say,
0: three or four years, Pathfinder has been outselling D. Outside it- mass market retailers like barnes and noble and amazon in the hobby industry it's definitely been outselling for at least two years possibly three years oh, yeah. uh, depending on how you want to call it based on the fact that pathfinders always had just the core rule book when at the same time D D had the player's handbook one two three plus they had the right. essentials books and
2: there's a there's a lot of factors to take into consideration when i say that but i think for the sake of argument, it's it's possible to generalize to a point and say, for the most part, Pathfinder has outsold d d uh, you know, recently.
1: And even in a broader sense, it's it, there, there was always the vast majority of the pie was owned by <clears throat> the Dungeons & Dragons brand, and then there was that one section that was slivered off into tiny, you know, paper-thin slices for just about everybody else, unless, you know, White Wolf had a larger, you know... Right, but that range, was true... But- this is what I'm saying. That
2: was true up until 2008, and then that right. big that big chunk of pie that was all D D all the time was right. suddenly split.
1: Exactly. Then you had you know maybe a third of the pie was Paizo, and maybe slightly more than a third was D and and it kind of shifted back and forth. But there became a lot more room. And that's still true. Right now, I'd say we could still make the argument that, that it's a, you know, that, that, that the, the great 800 pound gorilla has lost some weight. It's still 400 pounds, but it's no longer the 800 pound gorilla. Right. But this is what's important about
2: fifth edition, right? Is that it's to me, I think they were, I think the designers of fifth and maybe even to a larger extent, Watsi or, or Hasbro, they knew that coming into this, they were at a disadvantage. Uh, the, for the first time, a Dungeons and Dragons game that was released into the marketplace was not by default going to be the biggest kid on the block. So I think it feels like to me, you know, a little bit, just given context of the of the environment in which is in, that 5th edition had something to prove.
1: Mm-hmm. Most assuredly.
2: So why don't we take a quick break and get something to drink, and we'll be right back to talk more about D&D
0: 5th edition. Are you looking for a new game to play? Drive RPG is the internet's largest source of role-playing games. Enjoy our game table episodes with Shadowrun, Dungeons and Dragons, or Mutants and Masterminds. And you want to join in, or is World of Darkness, BattleTech, or Fate more your thing? Or maybe you just want to check out games from our guests like The Cursed and Shinatar: The Savage World settings? Just go to GamersTavern.org slash RPG and you can have a new game to play in minutes. And they also have the largest selection of free games, source books, and starter sets anywhere in the world. Go to GamersTavern.org slash RPG and support the show with every purchase.
2: And we're back on episode number 42 of the Gamers Tavern with Sean Patrick Fannin. Hello. We are talking about Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. We've talked a little bit about the core mechanics, and we talked a little bit about the context of the industry in which 5th Edition was released. Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about how the the impact of D&D 5th Edition uh, and what it's been on the marketplace. It's only been out like a short time, right? I mean, it was released, uh, you know, the basic set just a couple months ago, and now the the player's handbook at, at, at Gen Con, um, but what can we tell so far?
1: Well, it is absolutely a uh, publicity and marketing boon, I think, for the brand and for Wizards of the Coast. It's a little odd, their presentation and the way they approach things at Gen Con. But I don't think there's going to be any arguing the fact that uh, the books are selling like mad and there's immense amounts of conversation about it. And again, you just look at the, the mass media – it's being mentioned in the, in the largest contexts that you, that you can think of outside of like one of the nightly news anchors on NBC or whatever, but. It's they're like it
0: doing fluff pieces too, though.
1: So it, it's presence, it's impact, uh, in terms of, you know, the debut. It, it is a noted moment in pop culture history and in entertainment history. So I would say that it is. In the same ballpark, at least as most major movie releases, as is a, a big deal, and more contextually within the gaming community, <clears throat> whether it's electronic games or otherwise, they care. They care a lot. They're talking about it. It's important. You know. You know. What's it like? What's it play like? There's Facebook groups exploding all over the place, just talking about this, and 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 very excited about it. There's a whole new round of edition war <laughs> going on as well. Which, you know, that falls almost into the whole even bad publicity is good publicity. Uh and then there's but there's a lot of shouting down of this isn't about an edition war. This is just about talking about the new D D game. I don't know. It's um He's it, a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Oh uh, just talking about Dungeon Dragons. I can dig it, <laughs> but the thing is, everyone's talking. A lot of people are talking, and and it's huge. And I I don't think that conversation is remotely over yet. I think we're going to see it continue to roll forward as a as a major point. I think uh, a lot of game stores may become very interested in D and D and role playing, but especially role playing, you know, D and D in the stores again. Carrying those books and having those those shared campaign things—I don't even know what they're calling it now—but <clears throat> basically it was the counters, right? Yeah, and
0: it's now called Adventure League.
1: Yeah, the D and D Adventure League is a thing uh, here in Denver, most assuredly. What, like is. a
0: bunch of super friends.
1: Oh, stop! <laughs> but um, I think I think the statement has been made. It's one I agree with, and I think it will it will bear out, as I think the health of D and D will ultimately spell the health uh, for our hobby and our industry. We've been doing okay. The electronic distribution certainly reinvigorated the entire marketplace, and I'm going to be very interested to see what their electronic distribution model is going to be, if anything, I suspect. I I think you're right, Daryl. You've made this presumption before about code name Morningstar, I think it is. Uh, It's now called Dungeonscape. (laughs) At the risk of sounding a little
2: edition wars E. I think it seems clear to me that they learned a lot of lessons from fourth edition and one of those lessons mm-hmm. that they learned was not to overpromise on the electronic front and number 2 to don't
0: do it in house yeah
2: well to 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 <laughs> offer people a reason to buy the books as you as you mm-hmm. point out very clearly you know because in fourth edition, it was very true that they did overpromise luck, uh, on their electronic side, and that if you had it, you almost didn't
0: need the books. You'll still want the books because again, they're not going to be releasing as many of them, and the books themselves are going to be a lot more focused on the fluff, the lore, uh, the world building, the story aspect of it. And I really think that's where Drive Thru is going to come in is where they're going to be doing a lot of these adventures. And a lot of these other smaller things are going to be released through there. But
1: the right now, it it does look like they're taking the the very conservative viewpoint, which I don't always agree with. In fact, it is, I don't really agree with it at all. But there are some publishers who believe that if you offer electronic books at the same time, that you poach your print book sales. All the numbers I've ever seen on this, and I as you guys know, I used to work for DriveThru, doesn't really bear that out. But <clears throat> that does seem to be the case here. They have decided they're going to go with their print sales first, and then... You know, we hope that there will be uh, an electronic uh, approach as well. I, I don't know. Well, yeah, they've
0: made no they've made no announcements one way or the other. But one thing that really does reassure me about their devotion to uh, digital book formats is D D Classics, which is fulfilled through Drive Through RPG, is still around and they are still releasing their back catalog through D D Classics. There are still new releases coming out every week. You know, yeah, let's of the older material. Let's
2: bring it back a little bit down from the uh, you know the big picture in the marketing area. You know what is interesting about, uh, D&D 5th edition for me? One of the things I really, really love about it is it has an, this new focus on adventure and, and what an adventure means, right? Like the, in the book, it talks about there's three pillars of an adventure and that's combat, social encounters, and exploration. I love the fact that it's, it's very clearly stating that, you know, fighting things is only about a third of what makes up an adventure. I mean, the, they get they get very very interested details about that. I'm going to actually read just a, a brief passage to give you an idea of what I mean. They say, for example, on page eight, um, <clears throat> the adventure is the heart of a game, a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Now it goes on for you know uh, three more three or more paragraphs all about that. But it it specifically references talking about, you know, a campaign is like a TV series. And it talks about how, you know, you're talking, you're telling your character's story. These are things that were not as emphasized in previous editions of D&D. And I, I really, I'm really, really glad to see them in there because it kind of, to me, it it feels like they're really opening it up and saying, you know, play D&D the way you want because D&D is more than just one way. I mean, D&D is a lot of different ways
1: agreed that was something else that was very exciting to me and this this gets more into presentation of philosophy versus uh you know uh just pure mechanic stuff but the fact that the brand is being presented with a new philosophy that tells uh and again it doesn't go around telling anybody you know this way or no way or if you're not playing in a certain way you're wrong But what it's really doing is encouraging you to think in broader terms of story, of character. It's actually celebrating context and
2: verisimilitude.
1: Yeah, exactly, which you know that's a huge – well, we both agree. That's a huge thing for us and the the idea of the cinema influence and the television series influence and the media influence and I've always believed that role-playing – could be the most exciting for people that's always been my philosophy as a GM and as a presenter that it could be the most exciting for people if they could feel like they were in that movie or that television series or that comic book or whatever and participating in the media in all the ways and so the the philosophical presentation of it's beyond just encounters and making an encounter and balancing that encounter with the monster's challenge rating and the this and the that and the work the math out work out the resources and Work out all this mechanic construct around, you know, beating stuff up. I mean, I'm sure that's there to some degree, but it just doesn't seem to have that same level of focus. Now it's about, you know, here's, here's a chance to be a character in a story and have all of the experiences that characters and stories might have. And the fact that that seems to be a core philosophical through line in everything I've read. Once again, I, I just, I feel this is a version of Dungeons and Dragons that not only holds on to a heart, Uh, That it's always had, uh, and is growing, you know, and becoming healthy again. But it's almost almost unapologetically borrowing from some of the great stuff that has evolved from other game development. I'm seeing in this version of D and D, an acknowledgement that that other people came up with some really great ideas over the last few years, and they wanted to incorporate those ideas too. And that is very encouraging.
2: Like inspiration is, you know, owes a lot to things like Benny's and uh, Style Points and other games that have come up with that boost resource. You know, exactly. You know, it, it's it's interesting to me. We we are just to be clear for the listeners. We are discussing this when only the player's handbook is available. We haven't seen the DMG. We haven't seen the monster manual. We haven't seen you know. I've, I've seen the monster manual. I don't have the monster. All right. Manual. Well, but it's fair to say it, that those are but. not widely distributed at this point. <laughs> yeah. At the point you're hearing this, so you know we're we're very 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 early in this line's development when we're making these 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 calls and these opinions. So things may change, and I think it would be probably wise of us to go ahead and say that at some point we need to come back and revisit this when there is a much more robust line behind it.
0: And I think a lot of what you guys are talking about right now is something that has been made very clear is going to be a big focus of the Dungeon Master's Guide, which that isn't coming out until, I think, November or maybe early December. But what that book is, it's all options for the Dungeon Master to add things to the game, to change things up. Uh, it's going to have a lot, it's going to have options. If you like that sort of, I like having the math balance. I like being able to uh, assign, this is what their resources are and I want uh, action, action, action all the time, sort of combat focused game. They're going to have very tactical grid combat rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide for players who want that experience. They're going to have more detailed social encounter rules. They're going to have more detailed exploration rules. They're going to have uh, more detailed, uh, all sorts of different uh, additional rules and uh, different character generation methods, they flat out stated that uh, Vitality Points is going to come back. Uh, if you remember that mechanic from, I believe that one well, was an optional rule in second edition? No,
2: Vitality was a saga system uh, thing. I'm
0: really hoping um, that
1: that's an optional rule. Yeah, them. it
2: is.
0: All, that all these are optional rules that you can add in if you want to.
1: And, and that's actually interesting that you bring that up because there's been a lot of discussion. In fact, I saw one very almost morose, vehement lamentation about the failed promises of fifth edition, like a complete blasting, you know, blistering recrimination. And and I'm like, uh dude, maybe that's just not been presented yet. Um there was a there was a lot of discussion early on and a lot of people were trying to figure out how in the hell are you gonna do that. There was a broad based, very sweeping statement <clears throat> Uh, along the lines that I'm, I'm highly summarizing and thumbnailing it now, but you know, we're going to present you a way to play D and D in all the previous ways that you've enjoyed. If you enjoyed those ways, we're going to give you access. We're going to give you an opportunity to explore, you know, putting those things back in. And, and then of course we get this presentation and it doesn't really do that. It doesn't present all the different options immediately. And, and it sounded to me like, the, these people who are feeling like they've been failed somehow probably just need to wait for the DMG.
0: Well, and I think some of them need to look a little bit deeper because a lot of those choices come in the class choices. If you look, for example, at the fighter, uh, the fighter has two main well, options, well, let's, two main paths. Yeah, unit, yeah. But, there's, uh, there's a lot of options. We should get into that in a second because
2: uh, okay. I'd really like to. Um, but I want to talk just really quickly about one other thing too. We, we mentioned earlier on that there's a lot of um, first and second edition feel in this game. And I, my mind as, as a guy who's been playing D&D for an awful long time, my mind keeps racing back to all the great, awesome first and second edition adventures that I loved. In fact, we mentioned quite a few of these in the dungeon crawls episode. And I always think, you know, now that 5e is out and I'm looking at it, that there would be very, very, very easy for me to just run that same awesome adventure using fifth edition rules because it's so, it's
0: so similar that it would not be hard to plug and play. You know what I mean? Yep. I have, since the playtest, I've been working on a Temple of Elemental Evil conversion where I was just going all out and actually rewriting the module to kind of uh, fix some of old school writing style that was a little bit clunky to read through, uh, in addition to updating the stat blocks and everything else. And by the time I got, by the time the second playtest packet came out, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, I'm wasting my time. I can just run this straight out of the book. I just got to thumb through and fine, replace the monsters.
1: That's a question I have because I haven't really looked at the game from that angle yet. So, you know, you know Daryl, I know you've had a reason to look at it. that i some very curious mm-hmm. from your perspective. But, I mean, even, just the vague contemplation I had. And honestly, I did run D2335 3, 3, rules because I was trying to run Shine Tar uh, in D20 at one point. And, and it was just a miserable experience trying to figure out how to create monsters to, to translate creatures into the stats. It was such a convoluted mess. What is your impression of the, the the stat blocks and being able to quickly stat something up in these new rules? What does that look and feel like?
0: Uh, trying to stat something up is a little bit hard. Like I said, I've gotten to look at the Monster Manual, but I haven't gotten to actually pour through it and actually go through page by page and read everything. So I'm not exactly sure how all the math breaks down at this point. But I will say that balance wise, it's not nearly as critical as it was in third edition and especially in fourth edition that an encounter be perfectly balanced or that it can be a little bit tougher. Like if you, okay, this is one challenge level h- higher than their party level. So it's going to be a difficult encounter that's going to use up two thirds of their resources. And you can fudge things a lot more easier. You can put uh, the players up against something that's a little bit. Out of their league. Well, let's, and it's I mean, not as bad. Let's
2: look at the, the skeleton. And There's a skeleton on page 310 of the player's handbook. And it's got, you know, armor class, hit point speed. It's got its six stats. And then it's got six, six notations underneath it. And then it's got its two, uh, two, two attacks, which is, well, one is a sword, one is a bow. That seems pretty simple to me because the six things underneath it that I mentioned are just, uh, it's got a vulnerability to bludgeoning, it's immune to poison. Uh, it's still, it's immune to the condition of poisoned. And it's got, uh, a passive perception roll, dark vision, 60 foot, understands languages and new in life, but it can't speak, and a challenge rating. That, you know, that seems pretty, pretty simple. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like, uh, as simple as something like, say, Savage
1: Worlds, but it's close. Actually, that was the impression I did get. <laughs> When I was looking through the conditions, yes, there's more conditions than you would necessarily see in a Savage Worlds game, but not that many more, and they're pretty straightforward, right? It's it's they're they're easy to grok without a lot of fiddly bits, and that was one thing I was. There's I a was lot, impressed by yeah. It. There's a
2: lot of fiddly bits in 3.5, and Pathfinder monsters. Like if you look at them, they've got. To be fair, they present all that information that you will ever need, right? I mean, I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not slamming those games. But if you look at a monster listing in Pathfinder, you will note it has a touch AC, a grapple AC. Uh, you know, it's got all the different resistances. It, 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 you're,
0: It'll list yeah. all the feats that they took for that monster.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, let's let's actually go away from monsters for just a little bit because I want to get back to something Daryl was talking about. And that's how player characters feel special in Fifth Edition. And they accomplish that with a couple of ways. One being feats, which we were just talking about, and one being the archetypes that are built into the different classes. Um,
0: Now, there's one thing I want to say about feats real fast. Why don't you tell us about that stuff, Daryl? Feats work a lot differently in this edition than they have in previous editions. They are no longer mandatory. You do not have. You do not at every level get a feat. What happens is at every fourth level. You get your choice between, you can raise two of your attributes by one, one of your attributes by two, or you can take a feat. And there's a list in the player's handbook, and I'm betting there's going to be a lot more coming out depending on how they're going to do third party licensing and all that stuff, let alone in the official materials. Yeah, this is, these feats are
2: different though than you expect, than, than you've seen before. They are
0: feats on friggin' meth, man. These are in, they're, these are the, high on, oh my god. Like like previous edition,
2: like there was a feat you could take in third edition that was a plus two to two skills, right? Yeah, (laughs) and that was pretty much it. That That is not how
0: these feats work. (laughs) No, this is, these are equivalent to it, probably between two and four feats from third or fourth edition rolled into a single feat. Some of them will actually give you an attribute boost, too. These go to eleven. Exactly. you get, the thing is, you get fewer of them right? I mean even if
2: even if you opted to take a feat every time instead of the stat bump, you were going to have lots fewer feats than a, a previous edition character, but those
0: feats will be more impactful, more meaningful, right? Yeah, exactly. There's ones that okay. are like okay, you get you get plus 1 to one attribute, you get training in this skill, and you get this cool thing you can do uh either in combat or out of combat or something else.
1: Holy crap, I took one from my paladin and I it was hard Choosing a feat becomes a major, major experience. And it kind of, an you know, it's like a really difficult, you know, it's not like, oh, I'll casually get that one and <clears throat> I'm building towards these other feats. No, no, a single feat choice is a huge damn deal. And I took one that basically uh, gives me uh, damage reduction, you know, three points off of certain types of thing. And I'm just looking at that's huge. That that's That's such a big deal. And I, but there was like two other feats I really wanted that also had, Potential for for major impact. So you now feats are much much more special this time around.
2: So Daryl, tell us about the the different things we can do with our classes to feel different uh, special in fifth edition.
1: Well, somewhere
0: around second and third level, pretty much every class gets some sort of choice based on their build. The one that I love bringing up as the best example of where a lot of that choice from that they were promising comes in is the fighter. Uh in the book, there are present there's actually three presentations of fighter, I believe, but there's two that I feel are the biggest. One is the champion. At the champion, uh when if you pick that uh class ability, basically what you do is your crit threat range increases. So instead of critting on only a 20, you crit on a 19 or a 20. Uh later on it goes to the point where it's 18 to 20, 15th level. Uh there's other little benefits that come in here, but it's very, very straightforward. The champion style character is i want a pretty simple fighter in combat my options are to attack or come up with something creative to do on my own but they also have the battle master build which gives you a list of maneuvers you get to choose from and these maneuvers are ways you can use your action in combat to do all kinds of things some of them are uh, okay you use your reaction to make an attack someone else makes an attack that would be something that was very similar to the um uh, warlord in fourth edition. Uh, there's ones that's, a uh, disarming strike, uh, uh, uh repost, which is, okay, you attack, you attacked me and missed. Now I get to a counterattack with my reaction. And there's just all sorts of cool little sweeping attacks, tripped attacks, push attacks, maneuvering attacks. Now the key thing uh, is, that the key
2: thing is all the classes, not just fighter, but all the classes get a choice between two or three things. At that level, and each one of these are kind of like, it's like they took a prestige class in 3.0, 3.5 and built it into the class as one of the things you just get to pick from.
0: Eldritch <laughs> Knight from, uh, from the fighter. That's the third choice is basically your spell slinging knight. Yeah. He has an arcane spell list so, to choose from.
2: So if you want to play a rogue, you know, at their level, you get to decide between assassin and thief, that kind of a thing. Um, it's really quite cool. And I, I like the fact that it adds that flavor. And that feeling of being a special type of fighter or special type of rogue without actually leaving that class behind. And And also sorry.
1: I just I wanted to to take a moment to 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 give a major shout out to the stuff they did with Paladin, which anybody who knows me knows that's the first thing I'm gonna look at as soon as I can. And the fact that I love the
0: paladins.
1: I, I do too. And and what's really interesting to me is at first, when I first glanced at it, I looked at it and was, oh, well, okay. They, they pretty much just, they still have that damn, less the, the, the lesser spellcaster thing. Okay. So how can I get around that? What can I do to, you know, cause they used to, in third edition, the first thing I'd do is, is take a, a variant uh, as soon as I could to get rid of the spellcasting. It's like, why bother? Cause, and then I started reading and I read, I started reading what they actually did with spellcasting and, and the spellcasting slots for paladins and how they integrated it completely. With the smite mechanic, like th- blow through your spell slots to do a smite instead. Or, hey, do a, uh, a reaction or whatever it's called. A, uh, bonus action, I think it's called. Is that, is that a bonus? Is it, uh, bonus what,
0: action is an s- extra action on your turn. Right. Uh, so, reaction is an out of turn action.
1: Right. So they have bonus action spells that are variant smites. So the spell casting of the paladin suddenly makes perfect sense. You don't want to get rid of it. It's integrated into how the paladin should operate yeah, by casting you know, a bonus spell. You no longer
2: spell. feel you no longer feel like a second second string cleric.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So all of a sudden I'm like in love with having the spell casting options because it's not just the <clears throat> the bonus action smite altering spell. It you know, it, you still have the other ones. Sorry about that, guys. <clears throat> uh, Ryan <laughs> wants to join in on the conversation, apparently. But uh, it, it just it is another example of how they really went through and seriously thought about it. I mean, there was a big promise of, we're really going to dig through this thing. We're going to break it down. We're going to rebuild it. <clears throat> and we're going to seriously think about what people have said and what people have, have complained about, and what people like and what they don't like. They really did. They're, they didn't just whistle Dixie. They really did. And it, it shows for me in the Paladin build it also shows for me is what Ross was talking about, which is that <clears throat> you have these alternate ways to approach the Paladin. You don't just have to be Captain Shiny Guy on the night, you know, with, with the lance or whatever. You can be an Avenger. You can be a, a Knight That's of the That's what Green. I
0: love. I, I, I was, I was a big fan of the Avenger class in, uh, in fourth, in fourth edition. Uh, it's basically your kind of unarmored, holy assassin kind of guy. Here, I'm not here to uphold the weak. I'm here to punish the wicked sort of build. And I really love that. It's kind of like the anti-hero paladin without, you're still the good guy. You're Judge Dredd. You're not good. You're not, right. not even Judge Dredd necessarily, but you're not, you're not necessarily goody two shoes. What they did. Not, there's like, anything wrong with that. I love playing those guys too.
1: But what's really interesting is just, just like Ross said, you know, they, they made feats impactful, but not this constant extra, you know, lo- layer upon layer upon layer of extra fiddly bits. They made, they, they, they put prestige – they took prestige classes out at least the way – in the core book there's no prestige classes, but they weaved them into your choices with the internal to the class. And uh, those are both really brilliant decisions that not only give all that flavor but also simplify. And that's actually something that I wanted to talk about real quick is that I want to kind of get back to – the broader impact and importance of this design, one of the philosophies that a lot of, of designers have had recently is just that, you know, real life, right? We've all grown up. We're not the kids playing D&D back in, you know, high school and college. You know, jobs, life, etc. And so, you know, a lot of designers, <clears throat> one of the ones I, I hold up because he stated this very clearly, you know, Shane Hensley, one of his goals was, you know, to create systems that the guy who comes home and really wants, it's to game, but doesn't want to work that hard at setting it up to play, and the players don't have a lot of time to invest in embroiling themselves in very fiddly, very difficult systems, they want to get to the game. They don't necessarily want it to be oversimplistic and esoteric either. They still want crunch. They want the die rolls that they, they, they know and love. They want that, that gameplay flavor. There's a certain class of people that remember that from their style and they want to still have that. just want to have it a little bit easier. To me, it looks like Merles, Mike Merles and the rest of the team took a lot of those ideas to heart, too. From everything I've seen so far, they are definitely tried to craft a system that had lots of flavor, but you could still grok it pretty quickly and get in there and just play. That seems to be a lot of what's going on here, and I think that's a very impactful thing, too, because I think that's a, a nod to... The current marketplace and the state of the art of game design, and I think D&D catching up to that concept is very important.
2: That's a very good point. I think we should also take a few moments to talk about, I mean, we've, we've been very, very positive about this, right, this whole time, and I think it's fair to say all three of us have a very positive opinion of d d 5th edition, but it wouldn't be fair to the listeners if we didn't cover a little bit of what we think are maybe some flaws or some some places that didn't quite get all the way uh, to the places that we wanted in D and d 5th edition. Um, Daryl, why don't we start with you? Is there some things that you think of about 5th
0: edition where you're like, well, this could have been a little bit better? There's really not a lot. Uh, it's, I kind of wish there was a little bit more uh, sort of hands-on nuts and bolts because I come from Shadowrun, so I'm used to a lot of fiddly bits when it comes to character creation. I'm used to spending an hour making a character or more. So I kind of wish there was the option for a little bit more hands-on when it comes... To I mean, they have a point-by system depth in there. you're talking about. Yeah, more depth to the character being able to build Uh, maybe a little bit... I, I love the simplified streamlined skill system, but I would have liked maybe an option for a little bit more to that. Uh, Something a little bit more in-depth, something a little bit more... Uh, instead of just the flat... Proficiency bonus, having the, and again, this may come up in the Dungeon Masters guide, but having the options to, okay, I want to be really, really good at stealth and I'm kind of good at acrobatics.
2: You know, I'm, I'm going to push back against you on that a little bit. I mean, I, I, I do love Shadowrun because of the, the, the character depth, right? Um, specifically Shadowrun 4th edition just had like amazing character depth. Um, but at the same time, it was a game that you needed hero, uh, hero lab in order to, to make it work. Yes. And I really like the fact that D and D five E, I mean, again, I, I know we're defending something we already started to talk about is something that bothers us, but <laughs> like just for me personally, I think the depth is just fine. It's, it's just enough. It gives you, it, it lets you paint a canvas with your imagination rather than with your character sheet.
0: I know. And I, again, it's just, it's, I'm, at this point, I'm really having to dig down and nitpick because I am totally in love with this edition. So th- that is just the most nitpicky thing I can think of. Mm. Th- there's one other thing I wanted to point out before we go too far into this is, have you seen some of this little secret things that are in here in some of the character classes? Have you looked at the monk, for example, and the way of the four elements? Uh, it's one of the yeah, character it's, it's builds for the monk. it's basically a Last Airbender. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the uh, arcane trickster, the arcane trickster is pretty much Loki from
1: Avengers. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of, <laughs> his spell oh, list is the fans he gets for free is, is that it's, there's, there's a lot of cool flavor there. I, I do actually have one genuine flaw as I see it. And it it's a, it's a structural layout flaw more than anything else. I think a presentation issue. Um, the way they, they ended up structuring the presentation of magic and spells is not. All it it, it it makes things difficult. It would be really cool if if you didn't have to do a lot of flip back and forth um, to get a handle on, okay, all the different fiddly bits of a specific spell. Um, I just don't... <clears throat> the alphabetical approach, but it would have been nice to also have, I don't know, something about the way that spells are presented. It's a pain in the ass to deal with them. Um, I may not see that
0: one as big of a flaw solely because I'm used to it, but I totally see what you're saying because you have to. Here's your spell list for your class on this page and then all the spells are listed alphabetically. So, okay, at this level I get to pick between this one, flip, 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 read what that spell does, flip back, okay, or this one, flip, 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 read that spell, flip back. I'm
2: compelled again to defend it a little bit just in the fact that I do still vastly prefer the feel of specific spells. You know, D&D just have spells that are very specific to it right and i vastly prefer that to the you know um uh, the previous editions some of the way they handled it for example the uh the power cards i never i never liked having although it was very convenient i i never <laughs> liked having power cards when i could have just you know i want to use a very specific cool spell and here's here's where that
1: is in the book i just there's a such an investiture to playing a spellcaster right. uh, to get set up so that you can play it quickly and effectively without having to do a lot of book flipping, and that's been uh, kind of pain in the ass. Uh, uh, and I imagine there will be supplemental materials, you know, out there. Well, something that
2: I I feel is still an issue is actually something that went back to third edition three point five is the idea of linear warriors and quadratic wizards. And
1: yeah, I was while, waiting for
2: this. While fifth edition has vastly improved the non full spellcasters into what I feel are much more viable, you know, viable archetypes that interact with the game mechanically on uh, on a meaningful level. Uh, in many ways, it's, it has improved it just vastly beyond three three on three five. I do still feel like at the end of the day, spellcasters are going to still have more answers, more solutions to problems than non spellcasters. The gap has narrowed. And i'm really really pleased by that but i'm i'm still a little worried that when we get to a high level game that if you're a wizard or if you're a sorcerer or if you're a cleric you're just gonna be able to you're just gonna have so many more uh ways to deal with a problem than a fighter or a paladin or a you know even a rogue
0: i think they've done the the closest thing they could do because they could have gotten gone away with uh fancy and magic altogether but then there would have been a revolt because and magic is d d and what they've got isn't technically vancian, but it still has that feel with the spell slot system that they use and i think the limiting factor is going to be the number of spells you can actually prepare in a day once you get up to that like 8th 12th 13th level of a caster character you're going to have a lot more spell slots you can actually prepare spells for
1: well and as i was saying I'm, l- I'm looking forward to the day jovis can finally show morgan you know what's what <laughs> uh, but, but because there is very little question i mean <clears throat> now granted we all know this because d20's you know electronic dice system hates jovis with a with a fiery ugly passion of hell so the dice have just been unkind i, I have no no uh, regrets that that jovis doesn't have some kickass ability i as a starting as first level up to now third level, I've enjoyed the, the capabilities of the characters there, the, the ability to do those cantrips repeatedly and, and have some effective stuff you can do no matter what. Love all that. But Morgan's kicking ass. There's no question about it. As a fighter, she has got it going on in, in, in huge, big ways. It will be interesting to see. And I think you're right. We'll have to come back and talk about this when we get there. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like in the 6th to 8th level range. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like when we get to 10th and 12th level and so on.
2: Well, here's something else to think about. Um, You know what was huge about D and D back in the early 2000s? It was the OGL. It's what took D and D and said, "Here's the d20 system, and you can build whatever you want for it." And it it made a huge, I mean, enormous, resonating impact on the industry. And very notable, of course, was the fact that the OGL was nearly non-existent for fourth edition. So I'm kind of curious to see what will happen with 5th edition and an OGL. Will there be some kind of third-party ability? I mean, obviously, they're, they're reaching out to the guys at Sasquatch, um, which is Rich Baker, Steve Schubert, and Dave Noonan, to do some products. So they're already kind of reaching out to some of the third parties, which is great. But I'm, I'm really hoping to see... Cobalt
0: Games is doing their current adventure path for yeah, the uh, yeah. Horde of the Dragon Queen. So I'm really hoping to see more opportunities for third-party
2: guys to kind of break in and do because Sean and I actually of course are evil beagle and we would love to do some if anybody's listening we'd love to do some (laughs) you know products we kind of want to
1: know you know how that works so it looks like it's going to be case by case I don't that there's almost zero I mean vastly approaching zero at least at this stage chance of them opening it wide to whoever wants to now I suspect what we're looking at here is they have very specific relationships that they've established and said, "Yes, you guys can go forward." And then it's going to be on a case by case. There may come a second phase kind of situation where they're like, "You may apply for a a uh, a limited license to do," and you know, "Here's your here's your here's your application process." But uh, it's interesting that we haven't seen that yet. And I said, "I actually
0: have some some information on this. Up, uh, what it is is they are not going to be announcing anything until first quarter 2015. They're going to get the core the four the three core books out." Then they're going to announce anything they're doing. And that is the official statement at this point in time. The scuttlebutt I've picked up from here and there is basically a lot of the guys at Wizards of the Coast, a lot of the guys on the D&D team really, really want to do something as open as possible. But they're getting a pushback from Hasbro on how to word it properly to still protect their IP. Because this is the big thing is... They're switching their paradigm for how they're making money on Dungeons & Dragons because they're not going to be releasing the rule books as often, looking at it more as a brand. That's why we're seeing the Attack Wing miniatures game. That's why we're seeing the all the other stuff that's starting to come out that's related to D&D but not necessarily the core game. I think that's where we're at is sometime probably in January or February. We're going to get some sort of announcement that there's going to be some sort of open license, probably not quite as open as the OGL, but not nearly as restrictive as the game system license, which is what they ran under fourth edition.
1: What okay. I imagine they're, they're hoping for is that uh, they can get the stink of the previous stuff off uh, and make the brand strong enough that uh, Disney will come knocking and say they want to do a and d movie. I think that's what well, they're have,
2: hoping for. Well, the movie the, the movie rights are very convoluted. We, we we could do a whole episode on just the, the movies. The movie
0: rights are in court. The first court date is September seventeenth. I think. Oh, okay. um I've got a I've got full coverage on that on Ana Cool News on my column. There's there's up. just
2: a really really long trust me. There's a really long story about that <laughs> that we could. Probably do a whole episode on and maybe we will uh, at some point, Uh, but uh, it is a big long tale. I actually, you know, I I bet some of it will be covered by Shannon Applecline someday in his uh, history stuff because, uh, you know, part of the thing that made me think about how much D&D 5e, you know, throws back to some of the old older games. The Kickstarter for Designers and Dragons was going and I read the, the 70s edition. Oh my God, it was so good. And it, it really goes into detail and depth about all the different designers and all the different editions of the game and, and how TSR,
0: you know, came to be and how it came to not be. <laughs> so Here's one thing I want to point out when we're talking about uh, the old school feel. Do you know who is who are some of the people that are at the helm of writing the new plot for Forgotten Realms? I bet we do. Ed Greenwood, Ari Salvatore. Richard Lee Byers, uh, pretty much all wait, the wait, wait, authors wait, you, that are working. You here. forgot.
2: Friend of the show and former
0: guest, Richard Lee Byers. Richard Lee Byers. <laughs> uh, yes. My apologies. But yes, they're bringing those guys on. Uh, they're in talks, but there's no official word yet on Eberron. Who are they talking to? Keith Baker, former guest and friend of the show. There are talks about Dragonlance bringing that back because Kinder were part of the playtest. Who are they talking to? Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. You know, just a quick yep. aside. I
2: never realized just how important Dragonlance was to TSR until I went and read that '70s book. Holy crap! Mm. If it wasn't for Dragonlance, there would have Dungeons and mm. Dragons would have died in the '80s. So just just think about that for
0: a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the novel sells kept them afloat for a long time.
1: No, it'd be interesting if they uh, if they decide to go back to birthright one day.
2: You know, I I hold out hope that. It will someday be the, the remembered setting. It's, it's always been the forgotten setting, though, for many, many years.
0: I was uh, talking to there, a course. lot of people at Gen Con about it, and there were a lot of people remembering it. So. Uh, I'm yeah. huge
1: fans of Dark Sun out there, too.
0: Yep, mm-hmm. yep absolutely. Well, um,
2: let's take a few minutes to talk about what's happening next for all three of us, because I think uh, we, the three of us all have some really exciting stuff coming up in the future. Why don't we start with Sean?
1: It's hard to look past Tacticon, which is rolling right over me like a steamroller. Uh, we've got, uh, which is one, <laughs> Tacticon's one of the two really big game conventions here. Two of the bigger game conventions here run by the Denver Gamers Association, Genghis Khan, which is, uh, what first had me fall in love with Denver when I was out here earlier this year for that. But now Tacticon, uh, is coming up. And of course it's just two weeks after Gen Con. So it's, oh God, oh God, oh God. But fortunately, I've got an amazing team of, of, of Shintar fans here. Uh, including Sean Gore, who is our, our project manager for the, the Justice in Life campaign and stuff like that. So, he, myself, Corinne, and brand new Shintar GM, Matt Rolls, uh, who nearly killed my paladin during his only second game ever running, which he's still feeling mortified. And I'm just saying it there to tease you, Matt. Ha uh-huh. ha! He felt so horrible about nearly killing my guy. But it was great. It was thrilling. He's, re- he's actually quite talented. So the four of us are running a huge Shantar program at Tacticon, uh, with a, with a huge campaign changing plot line and everything going on there. Uh, so the Justice in Life stuff is, is continuing to grow steadily. It's has to, it's continuing to gain a lot of attention. I got, actually got uh, interviewed a few times at Gen Con about it. And so, uh, that's, that continues to grow as a, as a kind of game changing, forgive. Well, no, don't forgive the pun. The pun's intended. It's a game changing kind of, uh, of thing. And I'm very excited about that. Can you I, give us the elevator pitch on Justice in Life? Imagine a living, a classic living Greyhawk, living campaign share camp. Pain environment where all the filters are taken off. There's no, there's no filtering your contribution outside of don't be a dick and don't mess with, the, you know, don't mess it up. But you're, you actually live in the world and your actions matter. The games that you play in actually happen in the world. There's no modules. There's just story arcs. Uh, so you have a one-to-one real-time r- relationship and experience in the world. So it's, it's like having fan fiction that matters and actually changes the world. And that's, that's what Justice in Life is. And it's uh, global. It's been, it's you're using Roll Twenty conventions and at-home game tables. Uh, it all fits in it all it all interacts and no one's ever done it before not with not with a published property so people are kind of flipping out so for example at tatacon there's the siege of thuls which is a major thing against the kingdom of alara and if they don't stop the prelacy that will change the political landscape of the world as we go forward and it will affect future books as they're written and everything else that's that's what we're doing so it's um it's like Joss Whedon coming along to a bunch of fans of uh, Firefly and Serenity and saying, hey, you guys are all doing this amazing shared storytelling and uh, fan fiction, and hey, this all counts. This is all real. So that's what we're doing there. I just – well, I should say we just turned in uh, some manuscripts that are now in full development for release. Savage Mojo just handling uh, all the art, graphics, and layout to get books ready. Uh, guidebook Goblinesh and guidebook Malachar Dominion. Uh, Galmanesh was uh, uh, written by Phil Vecchione and uh, the Malachar Dominion by Eddie Webb. From the and, show uh, and former guest, Eddie Webb. Yes. <laughs> well, okay.
2: Thank this you. is going to be a running gag. That. I'm just going to keep doing that.
1: Okay. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those two books are, are in dev. And in fact, as we just got through approving, uh, I think pretty much all of the art now are or damn near all of it for Malachar Dominion. Uh, the art approvals for, uh, Goblin I should be soon. There's a novella that Steve Long did called Edge of Honor. Uh, just waiting on the cover art for that one. And we're going to be able to put that one uh, out there. There is, uh, the city book Eastport, which we, uh, has been fully written. And now we just need to produce and develop that for, for release. I just put the official Shine Tower writer's guideline out there. So you know, people can really delve themselves into what the psychology and structure of, of the Shintar setting is. Um, so that's that's put out. There's a brand new map, both monochrome and color. The color one just got released and uh, has been shared out there freely for people. They're really excited about it. Been a lot of great comments about it. And it's a map that reflects exactly what I was talking about. People have added material to the world. They've built cities, they've built roads, they've built entire island nations, and all of those things have been added to the, the, the new map. So this is truly user-created content taken to its its ultimate level in a published uh, role-playing world. Awesome. So, thank you very uh, much, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what about yeah, that was you? something
0: go ahead, Daryl? I was gonna say that, uh, that whole thing is something I've been so excited about. I'm sitting here biting my thumb not to jump in and interrupt Sean. Let, let the guy who's actually in charge of it talk about it instead of the guy who's just fanboying over it from afar. It just looks so amazing. And I just cannot wait to see what comes of this.
2: Well, you know, you can always make a character and play on roll 20 or over Skype. Just, saying. I'm seriously thinking about it. Trust me. All right. We have made a lot of awesome contacts at Gen Con for possible future things. So, you know, keep your eye on the website for Evil Beagle because we might be having some cool announcements, uh, in the near future, probably closer to the end of the year. But absolutely, we've got some great stuff going on. Now, me personally, um, I'm still, you know, hard at work on Warhammer 40k Regicide. I'm still hard at work on some stuff for Pinnacle Entertainment. I'm still hard at work on more stuff for Accursed because we, uh, showed off we actually completed Accursed, um, the Kickstarter for that at, um, Gen Con this year when we ran our, our last backer games. Uh, and we are fixing to do another Kickstarter for more Accursed world books, which have already been written. We already have Woo-hoo! cover art for it. Um, it's going to be pretty badass. So, you know, keep your eye open for more, more Accursed and more Shintar and more Gamers Tavern. Lots of stuff happening. It's going to be really exciting coming up.
1: I, I want to jump in here real quick because this has been publicly announced. So I'm going to, bl- I'm going to brag on you here, Ross. Savage World of Lankmar actually is one of the things that Ross is connected to for That's Pinnacle. true. And he's, work- he's going to get a chance to work with uh, Shane Hensley, Ooh, the whoa. original brand manager, Tim Brown of Dark Sun and Dragon Kings fame. Uh, so bringing, bringing Lankmar back to the game table via Savage Worlds. Uh, Ross is a huge part of that. So well done, Ross.
2: I'm actually really loving reading through the, uh, Stafford and the Great Master books. Oh, my God. It's been so long since I've read these. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm loving it. I'm, I'm really excited about being a part of uh, the Savage Lankmar uh, thing. And, you know, it's, it's going to be super cool to see it on the shelf.
0: Did you know about that, Daryl? Uh, I did not. That is really exciting. <laughs> Scoop.
1: Yep. Scoop. Absolutely. right here first.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's fair
2: to say um, there's a lot of things we love here on Gamers Tavern. We love champions. We love Shadowrun. We love Birthright. We love Ravenloft. And we also happen to love Savage Worlds. <laughs> so of all, there's just like a whole bunch of, you know, list of things we like to do. And uh, I'm glad that I get to do some things with uh, with Pinnacle on Savage Worlds because it is such a great game system. You know, and I think that pretty much uh, sums us up for like the cool, exciting things coming on the horizon for all of us. How about this? Daryl, what are your final thoughts on Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition?
0: Even if you are the most hardcore, diehard Pathfinder fan, OSR fan, it doesn't matter what edition you play. The rules are, the basic rules are online for free. dnd.wizards.com Download the basic rules, give them a read through. I'm not saying it's going to convert you. Play the system you want to play. But, and this is something I always say, even if it's not a system you're going to play... You're going to find some inspiration in there somewhere, possibly in inspiration itself. But you may find something in there that says, oh, this is really cool. Let me bring this to my Pathfinder game. Let me bring this to my Swords and Sorcery game. You never know. It's always the only thing you're going to be out is some time. And worst case scenario, when you're online arguing, you'll at least know what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) Very good. Uh, Sean Patrick Fannon, what are your final thoughts on D&D 5, uh, 5th Edition?
1: Well, I'm digging around to figure out which D20s are going to stop screwing me for the first time in a <laughs> long time. I mean, I, I want to play Dungeons and & Dragons, and I, had, I have not been able to legitimately say that since I was a kid. Uh, and I, I realize that's, that's for me, that's huge. Uh, I, I want to play d and I'm not sure I'm ready to run it, but I definitely want to play it. And I'm excited about that. I think D&D's back. I think it's it's returning to a marketplace that is a little bit more robust and a little bit more diverse than than it the, than the marketplace it once enjoyed being the the absolute dominant role. But I think there's lots of room. I think people like to play lots of different games these days and I think uh Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition is going to be one of those games that lots of people are playing. I agree. I would have to say, you know, Pathfinder better watch out (laughs)
2: honestly Uh, because Pathfinder has you know for the last four years kind of enjoyed it you know not having anything to really you know compete against and now I think it's going to it might be one of those cases of really healthy competition it might be one of those cases where both you know companies really do their best trying to outdo the other and everybody wins I'm kind of hoping that's the way it works out like a DC Marvel comics sort of
1: yeah, I really
0: think that's where we're headed. I've seen what some of the stuff that Pathfinder has in the pipe at Gen Con, and they're really bringing their A game. So the stuff that they've got coming out this year looks really, really good. So Pathfinder's not going to go anywhere.
2: No, but I so think anybody- I
0: think I think they definitely know that
2: they're not that that it's not a wide open field anymore. That's all yep. I'm saying. Um, they 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 have they have been you know they have been the leader in the race. But now a new challenger has appeared.
1: So I'm going to mix I, I, as many
2: I, metaphors as I possibly can.
1: I, I <laughs> forgot. Has there been a second edition announced? For what? Pathfinder? There has.
0: There has not. The closest thing they've announced is what they're doing uh, next summer called Pathfinder Unchained, uh, where they're going to be revisiting several of the classes, several of the builds, and several of the races, and basically retooling them. As well as presenting a whole slew of new options, including hmm. a bunch of stuff on the, uh, uh, action economy in the game, where one of the options that they listed, the panel's online. I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. Uh, but the act, one of the action economy things is, okay, your, uh, your choices are you have an action and you have a move. Does that sound familiar to either of you? Yes. Yeah. So they're, they're, they are definitely paying attention and they are learning. And Paizo's always been quick on their feet, so they're picking up fast. So they're not out of the race yet. They're still going to be going strong. Yeah, but they've got some strong competition. And right, to be honest, to be honest, I'm looking forward to running both systems. Yeah, to be clear, I'm not. That's exactly what I'm saying too. Is I, I like both systems.
2: I, I want both systems to succeed. Um, I just, I think, I'm hoping for again that very healthy competition between the two. Uh, for my final thoughts, I would say this. I love the way that D&D is really, as, as we said before, is putting the fun back into the game. It's really doing an, an emphasis on imagination, emphasis on telling your character's story, an emphasis on finding meaningful ways and elegant designs to get the mechanics into the game, like uh, inspiration, like traits, like advantage and disadvantage. I think these things are all great. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you haven't played D&D in a while and you kind of want to check it out, definitely check out D 5e it's um it's something i would unhesitatingly recommend to someone who uh has maybe heard of dnd and hasn't tried it for whatever reason go check it out
0: and i'm gonna cheat and get a second final thought oh in. cheating
2: uh, Cheater.
0: hey i'm i'm the owner i'm allowed to cheat <laughs> um, there are there's a couple of little tiny things we we're talking about putting the fun back in the game if you notice in the character creation section, they give an example of someone creating his character. His name happens to be Bob. And he happens to be creating a character, uh, happens to be called Wolfgar. So. Of course, it's Bob Salvatore.
2: And there's oh a character Wolfgar
0: from the, uh, the, uh, no, I'm Trilogy. I'm sorry. He's like, uh, I, I apologize. He's not creating Wolfgar. He's creating Brony. Which is also from the Ice Bail Bail Trilogy. Hammer. Yes. Uh, if you look at the, uh, where they give the examples of two players picking their, traits for their characters. The two characters are Tika from Dragonlance and Artemis and Trey from again, R.A. Salvatore's. No, 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 Dark no, 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 novels. no, no, no.
2: Ar- no no. Artemis and Rari. Well yes, you're right. Artemis Rari. I'm sorry. I was thinking of uh I was I was thinking of uh uh Elath Kralnober. My bad. You're right. Oh, yeah, yes, no. absolutely. Artemis and Rary is Bob's. Insert Salvatore.
1: comic book store guy here. Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> Excuse me, I believe and I believe wait, no, I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And their attention to detail even goes down to the point that the dice set that comes with the starter set for basic D&D looks exactly like the dice that Abed uses in the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons episode of Community. It's the same sort of blue dice uh, with the shell on them with the white numbers on it. It looks almost spot-on screen accurate. So that's how much attention they're paying to how much of a pop culture influence that D&D has. And again bringing that fun back and reminding you how much fun it is to play this game
2: very good that's a great final thought let's uh let's close out there because the imperial guard are coming by to shut us down and the tavern uh will have to be closing very very soon so on behalf of daryl and myself we want to thank sean patrick Fannon for joining us Beer me uh, uh given the circumstances it's likely we'll see sean again soon <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you again for showing up on the show and until next time May all your hits be crits. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drive thru Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed.